Hey ladies, welcome back to the five days to epic pleasure and passion. We are on day four and time is flying. I hope you've been enjoying this series as much as I've had creating it for you. Today is a bit of a longer one, but I promise you this is the most mind-blowing and impactful one for those of you who really feel like you've never been on the same page sexually with your partner, and it's definitely dampened your ability to feel passion and to feel that sexual desire because it kind of feels like you're speaking different languages. Well, today I'm going to share with you why that is so. But first, let's do a recap. On day one, we covered why traditional therapy modalities, typical Cosmo advice, it's never going to work to resolve intimacy issues. And we discussed my four-part success system for epic pleasure and passion. And today we are going to be going through the third part, which is a pleasure and relationship education. And then on day two, we covered why you must work at the unconscious nervous system level to increase your capacity for more pleasure and passion and connection and authenticity. And we talked about nervous system rewiring, repatterning so that you can get out of stress and overwhelm and into thriving and how pleasure is essential to that. I even gave you access to the exact morning routine that I have my personal clients do when they work with me. And then on day three, we went over mindset and my favorite embodiment practice, the Jade Egg, that teaches you how to get out of your head, get in your body and take all of those nice things that you tell yourself to be true. And it helps you to actually believe them in every cell of your body. And I even gave you my how to start a Jade Egg practice e-guide with several Jade Egg practices, a link to my online shop if you would like to purchase a Jade Egg so that you can get started right away. Now we're on day four and today I'm going to show you the pleasure and relationship education you never got, which is the third key to success in my four-part success system for epic pleasure and passion and why it's crucial to long-term relationship satisfaction to understand you and your partner's erotic language. I'm also going to be sharing with you secondly, how to incorporate the passion trifecta into your relationship and so that you can reignite the passion and spark again, even if you've been together 10, 20, 30 years. And remember this time sensitive information, because if you want my expert support and accountability and to be in a group of like-minded women going on the same exact journey as you rediscovering who they are awakening their eroticism discovering what they want like sexually becoming multi-orgasmic awakening that passion spark in your relationship again then i've got my multi-orgasmic bliss group coaching program that is starting the week of January 29th. And you must apply by booking a call and answering just a couple of questions at the link in the show notes to be considered for this program. It is an application only program. So you do have to book the call with me and we have to talk about it, whether or not it's the right fit for you. And if it's not, then I'll be happy to share with you what might be instead. It could be private coaching. It could be an online course or program just totally depends. So if you're interested in joining us on that journey, head to the link in the show notes and get your call booked in no later than January 26th. See you there. All right, ladies, let's dive in. No one got a pleasure or relationship education. Absolutely no one. But the truth is, if you want a pleasurable sex life and passionate relationship through the years, at some point, you've got to quit relying on luck and actively seeking out a proper 
pleasure and relationship education. That is because sex and relationships are learned skills. And this is where the erotic languages and the passion trifecta come in handy. So what is an erotic language you ask? Well, I'm sure many of you have heard about the five love languages. If you haven't, please go check out the book titled The Five Love Languages. The five love languages are all about how you naturally give and receive love versus how your partner gives and receives love. We all have a way that feels more natural to give love, and we tend to give love in the way that we receive it. The five love languages are gifts, quality time with your partner, physical touch, words of affirmation, or acts of service. Chances are, if you know you are loved when you receive physical touch, for example, you're going to assume that your partner receives love and knows that they are loved when you touch them. However, that's not how it works. If your partner's love language is words of affirmation, but you try to show them love through physical touch, then your partner won't really register your touch as love but they will register words of affirmation as love. So once you know your partner's love language, it makes it easier to give them love in the way they receive it and vice versa. Well, ladies, the very same thing is true for your sexuality. Every person has a core erotic wiring and language. Different things turn different people on. And the way that you experience turn on, the things that you like sexually are very likely not the same things that your partner feels turned on by or that he likes sexually. So in the same way that we tend to give love and the way that we generally receive it, we tend to do the same thing with our sexuality. We expect that our partner should be turned on by the things that turn us on. And the truth is, it's probably not working out very well for you. Now is it? <laughs> okay. This is because there are five different languages of eroticism. Before I go into the erotic languages, I do want to credit the work of Jaya. Jaya is a founder of the erotic blueprints, and she has created this amazing system to really help people understand their own unique path to turn on and pleasure. So you can go check out her new book. She has a new book on the, the five erotic blueprints. So the first Erotic language is the energetic, the second is the sensual, the third is the sexual, the fourth is the kinky, and the fifth is the shapeshifter. Each of these erotic languages, you will have one core language. So your core language is the one that speaks to you the most, that feels more true to you than any of the other ones, and then you might also have a secondary or tertiary language. And the thing about learning about your erotic languages is it really makes you feel validated that you're not crazy because you like the things that you like, or that your partner isn't crazy because your partner likes the things that he likes. Let's dive in. I'm going to start by sharing with you that none of these erotic languages are gender specific. That just because more women tend to be on the sensual or the energetic side doesn't mean that all women are. And just because maybe more men to be on the sexual or the kinky side doesn't mean that all men are. It's really important to understand this because you might, if you're a woman who is a sexual or kinky, have felt really misunderstood your entire life. You think that you're supposed to act a certain way sexually or that you should show up a certain way sexually because of what you've seen in the Hollywood movies or because of what you may have seen in porn or 
you may have just seen that modeled with your own family and with the friends that you have in your life. And that might have left you wondering, well, what's wrong with me? Because I don't get turned on in the same way that my friends do or the same way that I see in Hollywood. So it's very important to not stereotype any one of these languages to either, well, this is how men are and this is how women are sexually, because that's actually really confusing for a lot of people. Let's dive into the first erotic language, which is the energetic. This, in my opinion, is the most highly misunderstood erotic language of them all. Why? Because nowhere in our society has anyone ever shown or portrayed the energetic language of eroticism. All we ever see in the media, in movies, or in TV shows is the sexual erotic language, the sexual. So we expect that all of our turn-ons or all of the things that we like sexually are supposed to be what we see in the movies. And this makes being an energetic really confusing sometimes. And even more so if you're a man who is an energetic. So what is an energetic all about? What turns them on? Well, some of the positive aspects of the energetic is that they're very sensitive physically and emotionally. They're often empaths who can feel each other's energy. They can read a room really well. And they're often able to have full body or even energy orgasms or to be multi-orgasmic because they don't need precise genital stimulation in order to even have an orgasmic experience. Super cool. (laughs) Many energetics feel that their sexuality is a deeply spiritual or an emotional part of themselves that they want to protect and to only share with just the right person. Casual sex, probably not their deal. They can sometimes view sex as a transformational or personal growth tool. And people who are energetics might also be really interested in learning things like Tantra or having energy sex with people. So just feeling into someone's energy can be a very big turn on for them. And they're also very sensitive to their partner's arousal. So if something turns their partner on, ooh, they're going to feel it too. They also need a lot of anticipation and they enjoy the longing and the yearning involved in a romantic connection. Think of romantic novels, okay? This can very often portray the energetic and sometimes the only hint of what an energetic is like because a lot of those erotic novels talk about the unrequited love and how they can't be with the partner, right? So you can also think of Romeo and Juliet and the whole love story and all of the anticipation and the longing. Well, if you're an energetic, this is going to feel really hot. So some of the not so great things about being an energetic is that they might be hypersensitive. If they feel something off in the room or with their partner, they might not be able to get back in the mood very easily. If they feel that something isn't quite right in the experience, they're just going to get turned off and everything's going to stop. And they're like a big antenna and can get bombarded with all of these energies going on around them. And sometimes if you touch them too soon, they're going to be completely turned off. So genital stimulation can be sometimes even painful or they just don't want to be touched. You may find that energetics can also be a little egotistical or hierarchical sometimes because they can get into this mindset thinking that their sexuality is just more advanced or more enlightened than other people's. A lot of times they just need a lot of space to feel safe and to really have the experience of turn on before any genital stimulation or touch happens. They love hovering barely their touches. Think feathers, 
your fingertips barely making contact on the skin, just teasing touches, maybe seeing, hearing, or sensing how much pleasure their partner is experiencing. They're probably really into polarity play, like really being in their feminine or really being in their masculine. They are probably really interested in Tantra, like I mentioned, or just playing energy games with each other. That's all about the energetic. Now let's move into the sensual blueprint. So most women, I would say, are sensual. As you think of the typical woman, she's probably going to fit more into this sensual stereotype more than any of the other ones. Sensuals are really sensitive to what their environment is like, the realm of the senses. What do they see? What do they hear, touch, taste, or smell in their environment? If you think of a sensual, then the setting is going to be very important to them. If there are dirty clothes on the floor uh, and that messes up their sense of sight, they're going to not be able to get turned on because they're fixated on what's wrong with the environment and they need to fix it before they can fully relax and get in their body. Sometimes sensuals can be a little finicky, a little picky because of this. You know, if the music is slightly too loud, they're going to need to go turn it down before they can relax and get in their body. A couple of things about the sensual is that what they see, touch, hear, taste, smell, it all matters. It is very important. So if the partner's smell is a little bit off, you're going to notice if you're sensual and you're not going to be able to get into a place of turn on until the environment is just right. So they're very attuned to what's going on around them when they're able to get into their body though. And everything is just right. Oh my goodness. They have intense um, body awareness. Uh, but sometimes they have a difficulty getting out of their head and into their body because they tend to live in their heads a lot. So sensuals, they do have an amazing capacity to receive physical pleasure once they're able to tap into their body, uh, but it can take some work to get there. For sensuals, the biggest thing with them is that they need a toggle. They need something to turn off their everyday reality and to give them that go ahead that green light to get into their body, that it's safe to get into their body. They need a transition, something to help them shift out of their day-to-day -day life and into more of a sexual or sensual experience. For example, couples who go on date nights every week that have regular date nights, this could be extremely important and maybe even sometimes necessary in order for a sensual to feel turn on because they need to have this thing that happens during their day that says, Okay, I can stop being this career woman, for example, and now I can step into my body knowing that everything else is taken care of. The kids are taken care of. Maybe the kids need to go to a babysitter. Like everything has to be kind of just right. Maybe it means that your toggle could be having a massage or a hot bath or going to the gym or doing a dance workout or whatever it is, but there's gotta be some sort of toggle and transition that happens during the day for a sensual to experience turn on very often. Okay. Other things that turn sensuals on are the peace of mind, knowing that everything is taken care of and they can put their fears aside and really be in their body. Intense sensations like love taps on the butt or bites or scratches can really help knock them out of their head and put them in their body. 
Now we're going to turn to the next erotic language, which is the sexual. The sexual is the stereotypical male from the movies. The sexual, it is all about sex, penetrative sex, all about the genitals, all about the orgasm, all about the hot and heaviness, and all things that you typically think of as sex. This is what matters to the sexually erotically wired person. Some of the positive aspects of the sexual erotic language is that they love sex, they love orgasms, Orgasms are something that probably comes easily to them and are important for them to have. They're super fun to play with. They can go from zero to 60 in no time flat. They don't need a lot to get aroused. They love seeing naked bodies. They can be very visual. This is the cultural norm. And they also might not have a lot of shame or guilt around their sexuality, which is amazing. But some of the not so great things about the sexual is that they can have a very limited view of what sex is, and they can get really focused on the end goal of orgasm. Sex can become totally unsuccessful if someone didn't have an orgasm, and they can be really butthurt about it. Another thing is that they might miss the journey because they're so focused on the goal. Foreplay might be really short with them. They can leave a lot on the table because they're so focused on the genitals. So if you're thinking, yep, that's my husband, that's my partner, then you're probably right, because most men do carry this, although obviously not all of them do. There are definitely sensual and energetic men out there as well, but those are highly misunderstood because, again, this is the stereotypical male. Some of the ways that sexuals are really turned on, like we discussed, are direct genital stimulation. They're really fed by orgasm. They might really enjoy oral sex, nudity. They often need sex just as much as they need oxygen. So frequency, having sex frequently is very important to them. Now we're going to move into the kinky erotic language. To be kinky just means that you are turned on by anything that's taboo for you. That could be very not kinky to someone and very kinky to another person. Things that are taboo for you might not be taboo for someone else, but you're kinkily wired. I don't even know if that's a a legit word, but I like to say it anyway. You're wired kinky if you really get off on something that feels taboo for you. There are actually two different types of kinks. There's the sensational kink and the psychological kink. The sensational kinks are those that really enjoy different types of intense sensations, kind of like the sensual, but even more intense. So think floggers being slapped or spanked really hard, or they might like fur or certain types of, I don't know, being held down or in bondage. The psychological kink is more about the mind play. Think BDSM being a total dom or a complete sub, but not all BDSM is psychological kinky. Some positive aspects of the kinky are that they can be very creative. This is their amazing aspect. They're very well versed in terms of consensual sexual experiences. They might be really good with that. They can sometimes use sexual play as a way to access states of consciousness that are very healing to them when they get into the subspace. In my opinion, you can totally get into the subspace without having to go through a lot of psychological games to get there. But for some people, it's necessary. And that's how they like to get there. And that would make you a psychological kink. 
They also may not need to have physical intercourse in order to reach peak erotic states either. Some of the not-so-great things about being kinky is that sometimes they can get really stuck on a particular fantasy or fetish, and then that becomes the only route to turn on for them, and that can feel very limiting. Kinks can have a lot of deep shame around what they want sexually, and they fear telling you that, or they might struggle telling you, and sometimes they experience a big emotional or energetic drop after a sexual experience, and they might risk needing to go further and further to keep the turn on going. Sometimes it can even get a little bit dangerous if they're not educated about how to safely play in edgier territory. Kinks, they are fed by creativity in and outside the bedroom. They really crave those creative moments, playing with things, hitting psychological or physical erotic buttons, the pushing of edges and overcoming obstacles. That's a kink. Now, the last erotic language is the shapeshifter. Honestly, this is what we all really want to strive to be. The shapeshifter knows how to receive pleasure from any of the other erotic languages, and it also knows how to give pleasure in all of the other erotic languages. So they're often turned on by a little bit of everything that I just described. Some of the positive aspects of the shapeshifter are that they're fluent in all of the other languages, so they make extraordinary lovers. Nothing is ever boring with them. They are able to become like the fantasy lover that you could only dream about because they have such a variety and creativity and repertoire to draw upon. And they love to introduce lovers to new things sexually. So some of the not so great things about being a shapeshifter, though, is that they find their own sexuality unfulfilling because they're so focused on pleasing their partner that they forget that there are things that they actually want to experience. They're kind of like a chameleon. If they don't learn to ask for what they want, then they can become continually dissatisfied, unsatisfied with their sex life because they're so good at pleasing others and making sure that their partner is good and well Uh, that they forget about their own desires, wants, and needs. Shapeshifters are fed by variety and creativity, owning their pleasure, exploring together, pleasing others, overcoming challenges. Now that I have shared a little bit about each of these erotic languages, I can only imagine that you're starting to learn, oh my god, that's me, oh my goodness, that's my partner, oh my goodness, that's that other lover I had, or my ex-boyfriend, or whatever. And this is so amazing because learning all of this helps you to feel normal and that what you want and like sexually isn't bizarre. There's nothing wrong with you. It's just your unique path to turn on and pleasure. Now, you also might be wondering, well, does this mean that if I'm this way, then I'm not compatible with the other erotic languages? Ladies, no. No two erotic languages are incompatible. Just like there's no incompatibility with your love language, it would be crazy to say that because my partner's love language is touch and mine is gifts, then that means that we can't be together and we're not compatible. No, that's ridiculous. No one would ever say that. It is the exact same with the erotic languages. Just because you have a different erotic language doesn't mean that you aren't compatible with your partner. There is no such thing as sexual incompatibility if you're willing to learn about your partner's erotic language, which is an amazing thing because that makes you become more well-versed of a lover. It means that you have room to grow and expand. 
The great thing about these erotic languages are that they aren't meant to pigeonhole you into just one and say, well, this is how I am and that's how he is. No, they're meant to help you to understand how to learn to play your own instrument, how to learn to play other instruments as well. So you understand your own erotic language and your partner's erotic language and you can feed each other. These are just a framework to help you understand who you are as a sexual creature so you can learn and grow and expand your capacity to give and receive pleasure in other ways. So you understand your core erotic language first and then the whole purpose of all of this is to help you understand that there's a lifetime of learning and growing your eroticism to expand your capacity to experience pleasure in all of these different areas and eventually become a shapeshifter. So you become that lover that can feel pleasure in so many different ways and who can also give pleasure in so many different ways. And when you're with someone who's completely different than you, you know what to do. So say you're sensual and your partner is kinky. It doesn't mean that you two can't play in the realm of the energetic either because you both might have energetic wiring, but you haven't learned to access it yet. Increasing your capacity to experience pleasure and give pleasure is done by doing things like the nervous system work, releasing guilt and shame about what it might mean for you to experience kinky sex. Hopefully this is all starting to make sense. Learning your erotic language, understanding what turns you on and what you want and like, and then subsequently what your partner wants and likes is absolutely essential to create a lifelong passionate sex life with your partner. If you only play in the realm of your core language, you're going to get really bored really quick and things are going to get stale. The purpose, as I mentioned earlier, is to grow and expand your potential and your capacity for pleasure in different ways. So I encourage you to think about that, to try that on, to open up your mind to what is possible to experience sexually with yourself or with your partner. And that's going to create a lifetime of fun and play. All right. Now I know, like I said, this is a longer training for you today, but I'm going to move into agenda item number two, because this is so important for couples who aren't experiencing passion in their relationship anymore. I'm going to tell you why and what is required in order to get that passion back. If you want hot, passionate sex throughout the decades, if you want a hot relationship that you're proud of, you've got to learn to incorporate the passion trifecta and the erotic languages is a big part of that. The passion trifecta includes number one, mystery, number two, obstacle, and number three, novelty or naughtiness. I can guarantee you that if you are not actively building in mystery, obstacle, or novelty and naughtiness into your relationship, the passion will eventually die. It's going to go away. It's going to fizzle. And you're going to be left wondering what the heck, where did it go? How can we spice things up? How can we get that back? Well, you get it back by actively building in these things into your relationship again. This is why relationships are so fun when you're in the dating phase, because there's so much mystery involved. There's so much obstacle involved because you don't live together yet. And there's so much novelty because everything is new. That's why people love the early relationship energy, because it satisfies the passion trifecta. Let's break down mystery. Mystery is one of the first thing that goes away as you get to know someone. The longer you've been in a relationship, the closer you are, 
obviously the less mystery that there's going to be because you know your person, you know all about them. And this leads to boredom in your relationship and in the bedroom. It can seem like you and your partner know everything about each other, but you're always growing and changing. So sharing that growth with with each other is just a really great way to continue being mysterious well into a long-term relationship. Mystery is the creation of curiosity. It means that what you do next is going to intrigue your partner and they're going to be so interested. Ooh, what's next? What's next? What's next? You want your partner to be curious and the curiosity keeps them hanging on your every word. The mystery has them wanting to unlock all of your hidden depths. It makes them want you and what you have to offer to them. So how in the world do you create mystery in a long-term relationship when you've been with someone for 10, 15, 20 years or more? Well, here are a couple things that I would suggest. You could learn your partner's bucket list and surprise them. Maybe they've had something they've wanted to do for a really long time and they have never done before. Maybe you could make that happen for them. You could leave a letter on a pillow with what you're going to do to your partner later that night, but just make sure you don't include all of the details, right? You could blindfold your partner in a car on a way to a date so that they have no idea where you're driving to. My partner did this to me once and it was the hottest thing I can think I've ever experienced and I was absolutely turned on all night long. You could send a text teasing your partner or giving them a little hint about what you might do later that night. Just don't spill all the details about what you're going to do with them. So while you want to be yourself and be authentic in your relationship, obviously, you don't have to share every little detail by talking ceaselessly about yourself. And women are so terrible at this because we're used to telling our friends everything. But when it comes to your relationship partner, I highly suggest that you leave a little bit of curiosity and something to build that mystery in your relationship with, right? So if you're constantly telling your partner every little detail, trust me, it's not hot because he doesn't want to know everything because you're not leaving mystery room for him to question and wonder. Be more interested in your person. The person who asks all of the questions is the one who stays mysterious. Ask questions, okay? If you're out on a date, ask questions with your partner that you wouldn't normally ask, okay? No talking about kids, no talking about work. Get a deck of cards. You can buy them on Amazon. You can, there's so many conversation starter questions, bringing them on date nights with you. It's so fun and it gets you out of talking about the stupid, dumb things that we talk about and all of the surface level BS that we talk about when we go on dates because we're not being curious and we're not building in that mystery into our relationship anymore. So don't give out too much information about what you plan to do on a date or even sexually. When you're asking to go on a date with your partner, just let them know seven o'clock, be dressed like this. Do they need to have eaten or not? And don't share all of the details. And to build in mystery, you don't want to be the same person all the time, everywhere. You want to bring out the different sides of yourself, the different personalities that you have. I have so many parts and pieces to my personality that if I just show up in one of those modes all day, every single day, it's going to get really boring. Okay, I promise you have a super fun side, you have an eccentric side, you have a sad side, you have your everyday side. Obviously, when you're on dates or when you're wanting to 
bring in more mystery into your relationship, you want to bring out these different personalities in yourself. That way, your partner's always wondering, well, who's going to show up today? Who's going to show up now? That's how you can build in mystery. Be spontaneous. Mix up your styles. Mix up the way that you dress. Surprise them. Play hard to get. If it's easy, it's not mysterious. So think about how can I build in more mystery into my relationship? Number two of the passion trifecta is obstacle. Many people think of obstacles as something bad, okay? They don't want to have any obstacles between them, so they seek to get rid of them instead of consciously using them to create more passion, attraction, and satisfaction. Obstacles are a great way to consciously create more passionate time with your partner, whether it's on a regular date or a sexy time, right? That leads to more great dates and more sexy times that lead to a relationship that has more connection, deeper passion, and that actually feels like you did in the beginning. So you're probably wondering, well, how in the world do I create an obstacle? To create more obstacles, you get to think back to when you were first dating your person. Okay, it was fun. There was a lot of sexual tension. There was very likely more sexual frequency. And that is because there were more obstacles to seeing each other. To build in more obstacle into your relationship now, you've got to learn to spend deliberate time away from each other. Have your own hobbies. You can even book an Airbnb or a hotel every now and then by yourself. I know you're probably like, well, I love my partner. I want to be with him all of the time. I hear you. I get it. I love my partner too. But man, when he goes on a trip for work and he's away for a week, that longing and anticipation, that part of my energetic side that comes out, it's so hot. And when he comes home, I'm even more excited to see him than before because all relationships need a little bit of space. You need time and space to reclaim your own energy, to remember who you are, to not lose you in your relationship. You can even plan separate vacations every now and then. Take a girl's trip, go on a girl's date, whatever you have to do, but you need to have your own things. You could create sexual obstacles, like saying that clothes have to stay on all night long. Well, how are you going to have sex with clothes on? Hmm, I guess we'll have to figure it out kind of hot. Or you have to put a blindfold on all night. Mm, that one could be fun. Or an obstacle could even be saying that you have to touch each other at all times. And how are you going to touch each other when you're out at a restaurant or you're out doing an adventure date? It just gives you something to have to overcome. An obstacle, right? You could pretend that you are in a forbidden relationship when you go out for a date. If you think of all of those hot erotic novels, why are they hot? Because so much of what they talk about is unrequited love or forbidden love, right? You could pretend that you are having an affair even. You could restrain your partner with handcuffs. There are so many ways to build in sexual obstacles that become super, super hot. Play with them. Have some fun. All right. The third part of the passion trifecta is to build a novelty or naughtiness into your relationship. If you are in a new relationship, everything is novel. It's new. It's easy and it's natural because you don't know this person. How do you create novelty with someone who you've been with for 10, 20 years? Well, I'm going to tell you. Building in novelty or naughtiness is as easy as role playing. It's as easy as introducing a new style of sexual experiences. 
like maybe exploring tantric sex if you've never done that before, or maybe exploring kinky sex if you've never done that before. Novelty and naughtiness can mean that maybe you've had the same haircut ever since you've been with your partner. Go get a different styled haircut, maybe wearing a different smell, a different perfume or oil, maybe going somewhere that you've never been together. If you go to the same restaurant for date night all of the time, quit doing that. You are doing your relationship a disservice. I promise you, I know you love the food. I know you love the atmosphere. It's your favorite place, but you've got to try new things. You could get new bedding, new sheets. You could eat foods you've never tried together. You could go on adventures you've never been on together. Uh, Do something taboo. Create something together. Initiate sex in a different location or a different time of day than you normally do. Anything that's new. Now that you're starting to learn all about your erotic language and wiring and how to reignite the passion and the spark with the passion trifecta, one thing that I want you to begin to think about is how are you going to implement all of this? How are you going to implement what you have learned here into your sex life and relationship so you can experience epic pleasure and passion for yourself? I hope you've gotten some amazing ideas just for me sharing all of this with you. But often it's a little bit more difficult and challenging to do without expert support and accountability, which is the fourth piece of my four part success system for epic pleasure and passion over the long haul. You've got to have the right type of support and accountability. So if that is something that you are ready to dive into now and a group of like-minded women going through the exact same thing, then don't forget that January 26, 2024 is the last day to sign up for the next round of the multi-orgasmic bliss group coaching program, which you can book a call and apply for at the link in the show notes. All right, ladies, tomorrow we're going to be diving into the number one thing holding you back. In fact, it is the only thing holding you back from creating what you want in your sex life and relationship. It's even more than any of these specific blocks or obstacles that I've discussed with you up until now. There is one that contains all of them. This is the one overarching theme that contains every block and obstacle we have discussed. You're going to be surprised at the one thing that it is. So stay tuned and I'm excited to share that with you tomorrow. See you then.